0: You know, you have two billion plus sitting in warehouses all across Canada waiting for it to go somewhere. How long term are you planning?
1: Well, this is uh, we're playing the long game.
2: Hi, this is Neil, and it's time for a special bonus edition of Cannabis Daily. On November the 3rd, over 400 industry leaders, investors and policymakers gathered at the New York Academy of Medicine to discuss the future of the New York cannabis market. Here is one of the panels at that event. By the way, tickets are now on sale for the 2023 conference in October next year. Get them now at CannabisNewYork.live. This panel is called Reversing the Trend, How Can European Investors Break into North America?
3: The next panel will look at how European investors who see an amazing opportunity in the United States get engaged to participate in the industry and its profits. Uh, for an illuminating fireside chat, please welcome Corne Millison, owner of Kenzoil and our host, Stephen Murphy, and another member, uh, Edwin Vandernap. Come on up, gentlemen.
0: I think this one is particularly well. Not that every conversation is important, but uh, if you walk around the room uh, for today, a lot of conversations are, are are focused on kind of the stalemate regarding financing and financing in cannabis. Uh, this problem isn't alone just for New York; uh, it's it's obviously uh, global. And while the attention of funding has focused primarily uh, by, new York, by U.S. companies, U.S. family offices, U.S. Uh, venture capital. We're now seeing as the globalization of cannabis uh, accelerates uh, a new wave of investors coming in to the industry to kind of give life and support in evolving uh, access and availability and acceptability of cannabis around the world. So we've kind of, We've got what, you know, what I think a a lot of people would say is two very important people who have access to capital and ready to deploy capital um, to talk about kind of their approach uh, and their approach in terms of what it means in what it means for from an investment perspective and, you know, correlating that to any other vertical. But also why cannabis and why from from a European perspective now is the time to get involved into the into the industry. So look, I think one of one of the things uh, that's quite unique is Kenzo and Cornelia as as you said at the very start or in, in in your conversation earlier, you currently have activity and operations on three continents. Now there's not too many companies out there that has such a wide array of a wide array of uh, of operations, and certainly kind of not a global outlook. So when you, when, you, when you are kind of evaluating the industry, what are you seeing as kind of the, the three or four you know, biggest opportunities from in, a, in a global context?
3: Yeah, thanks, Steven. J- just for good order sake, Kenzo is an investment firm and we're active in a lot of other sectors as well. Uh, but we have a, um, uh, created a sort of a, a center of attention around the topic cannabis. And that has led to a series of acquisitions in Canada, LPs. We're in the process of acquiring a couple more. We've got one of the, as I said this morning, one of the licenses, acquired one of the 10 licenses, recreational cannabis licenses in the Netherlands. And we've got a sizable operation in Zimbabwe, which is in Southern Africa. We see a couple of very interesting opportunities in this space. Let's, let me mention a couple of them. Firstly, it is Europe itself. Europe is way bigger than Canada, way bigger than Uruguay, and it's also bigger than California. We're talking about a 700 million people market that has to come on stream. Now, there is basically, for all intents and purposes, at the moment, only one entry point into Europe, if we talk about recreational, which is the Netherlands. The Netherlands, and I also said that this this morning, legalized 50 years ago, but they did not fully legalize. They legalized the dispensaries, possession, the the, uh, the trading, but they did not legalize growing. And that's happened now. So we were very early in the race, namely 50 years ago, with half legalizing and a bit late with fully fledged legalizing. What's happening now? There's only 10 licenses in a country that is half the size population-wise of Canada. In Canada, we've got 900 licensed producers. There's only 10 in the Netherlands. So the only factual entry points into Europe is in the Netherlands at the moment. And we see that because a couple of American and and, and Canadian players already own these licenses. Two out of the ten or three even are co-owned by Canadian US players. So you see that uh, if you look at the Netherlands as a small country with a big cannabis market, but the real coveted sort of price, the dot on the horizon is Germany. What's gonna happen in Germany? Germany is legal is will be legalizing REC. This means that a eighty million people market will come on stream. So you asked about opportunity space. That is the opportunity space. It's Holland, Germany, roll out into Europe because everybody will follow. The cannabis legalization wave is unstoppable, but some go fast, some go a little bit slower, but it will be there eventually. That's one. Secondly, and I'm almost done. Is we see a huge possibility of reorganizing and restructuring the Canadian market. If you look at these LPs, there is like a couple of percentage points left of what was there in initial market cap. That is a red ocean bleeding market with almost all LPs unprofitable. So we see a, an enormous MA upside potential of rolling up these companies. And we've we've secured one platform acquired one firm the second one is in the making and we expect to be rolling them up over the course of the months to come as a first step towards a total market restructuring okay and then i'm done new york we're here because we would like to get access to entrepreneurs with a license i also said this morning i'm not interested in government guarantees or whatever you i'm interested in super experienced proficient entrepreneurs Preferably with a good connection to the legacy space, and the last reason to come to New York, or the second reason, is because a lot of our co-investors are in New York, so there is a lot of appetite for what we're doing in Europe on this side of the ocean.
0: Perfect, um, Edwin. Just touching on touching on Canada and wanting to wanting to kind of improve the situation there uh, through uh, strong consolidation is the consolidation focused on creating a stronger canadian company or a international company for international markets and then how do you see the future of protectionism versus international trade if you're looking at consolidation in canada
1: yeah so so i think the opportunity in canada is you know a, a better structure more focus on uh, activities to be yeah to become uh, competitive and now it's it's the, the industry is basically disintegrating instead of being vertically integrated, there's more uh, players which are focused on specific uh, market segments and specific activities. And uh, so a lot of those assets are coming back to the market and and other players will reconfigure those to become, you know, more or better utilized and more fit for purpose, basically. And and I think that's where the opportunity is in Canada.
0: regarding i suppose protectionism is that something as 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 an investor or certainly involved on the investment side do you see protectionism being quite long term germany came out with mock or trial publication in terms of testing the markets regarding where supply is going to come from you know you've two billion plus sitting in warehouses all across canada waiting for somewhere for it to go somewhere you know, how how long term are you planning your... your...
1: Well, well, this is, uh, we, we're playing the long game. And so, I mean, uh, Canada was, you know, boom and bust in uh, over the course of, uh, you know, three, four years, basically. And I, I, I don't expect that that will happen in, in Germany or the Netherlands. Uh, you know, of course, the learnings were, were taken from Canada and... Uh, uh, you know the international market is is basically the medical market which will always remain you know just a just a, a subset you know maybe 10 percent of the market or something so I think you know the real uh, the, you know, the industry will be, be uh, relying on on recreational uh, basically yeah
0: so then evaluating the supply chain or evaluating the opportunities. In cannabis, are you looking at vertically integrated, or are you looking at different sections or different parts of the supply well, chain?
3: Yeah,
1: yeah well, well, we are now building one platform basically, but but I mean that, that will still, you know, be uh, the, it it will be sort of uh, company uh, parts that I have own profit and loss and uh, and are focused on. What they're good at basically yeah.
0: so it's not a preference over ancillary versus cultivation oh, there,
1: there, there will be bolt-ons or, or auxiliary uh, activities as well for example we are also uh, uh, we have partnered with with uh, a very influential cannabis breeder as well so we'll have access to unique uh, genetics etc so that's also part of the strategy so it's not only uh, operating uh, you know, a a a recreational uh, operator or something,
0: yeah. Okay, let's kind of get back to New York and wanting to kind of focus on on New York. It's talking through kind of the type of entrepreneur you're looking for.
3: Yeah, basically, there is not a real difference between cannabis entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs in our view. The only thing, the, the only special feature here is that we're interested in people who have a sufficient respect for the legacy elements in this in this specific business. But other than that, we're looking for generic entrepreneurs with drive and stamina and people that uh, want to make it happen. And we find these people, we're, we're active as, a, as an investment firm, as I said, in a variety of sectors, and we're looking for the same sort of traits everywhere. And, uh, and, and I know that they're there because I've already found a, a few. So we're in an active dialogue with the, with the couple. And this is a city full of energy. And it would be very, very strange if we could not find appropriate entrepreneurs with the right sort of skill set.
0: And what kind of time frame are you looking at? Uh,
3: so, you, you know, when I started a long time ago in private equity, we we, uh, we used this, this word, uh, the, the, these exit horizons. And um, I've always been dead set against it. So we don't work with any sort of time frame. We're just acting. And we've been very fast since the legalization wave started. We've acquired companies, acquired uh, genetics, acquired IP, got people on board. We've got a whole fully fledged team. By the way, I forgot to to uh, we've got to introduce Edwin. We did. <laughs> yeah. So he was a senior vice president cultivational for Aurora, one of the biggest uh, cannabis producers in the in in Canada. And um, uh, we've assembled a whole team around us. And that's all because we're focused on the long run and not so much on a, on a, on a, on a quick profit. So, Edwin, how do you see
0: the experience of, of Canada and kind of the lessons that are going to be learned from Europe as a result? Like what's Europe going to approach differently than Canada?
1: Well, for example, the, the, the route that uh, the Netherlands is taking is that uh, those licensed producers will uh, supply uh a number of municipalities and the government will add on uh, municipalities you know as as the as the demand uh, is sort of met the government is not looking for like a race to the bottom on price or something uh, they just want to have the consumer served and uh, with a fair price and also a safe uh, product uh, but not necessarily at a lower price and uh, yeah you know they want their interest is uh, consumer safety and uh, uh, legit uh, business operations basically yeah.
0: so do you prefer markets where there is tighter control and so far as limited licensing capabilities limited kind of or more controlled and tight supply
1: chain well I think what's important and this is also an opportunity that the Netherlands has specifically because we have a, a very well established retail end uh, you know we we'll, we as a supplier will be supplying the, directly to the to the coffee shops with the uh, cannabis dispensaries where consume, consuming cannabis is also uh, possible and legal um, and and that will allow us to get uh, like immediate feedback so so there's no like distance to the end consumer or to the to the marketplace we have direct feedback uh, and also we we built like apps and everything to to uh, capture the feedback from the consumer so so uh, in the dutch industry will be more closely aligned to to the marketplace and to the true demand and yeah it's not um, you know we, we we are likely to be the first uh, 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 uh company to be listed on the stock market in europe in the but, recreational space
0: but with say you know a lot of the conversations here has been the pain suffered between the transition between the legal the illicit market into the legal markets and like you're you're in amsterdam yeah. there's going to be there's going to be that pain like yeah. as, as an investor as as as, as people yeah. placing capital into us this, this you know this what well, delay two weeks ago or in the trial two weeks ago in in, in amsterdam like our or not Amsterdam, I'm sorry in the netherlands is 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 this something that you have planned and anticipated for you know is well, well we
1: we 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 don't have the uh like the excise taxes for example so there's much more of a level playing field against the uh the the illicit markets and
3: um uh, maybe sorry to be short. Maybe say something about the illicit market in the Netherlands. Don't forget that we have this infrastructure with the coffee shops. So uh, it is, it's, a, it's a different market in terms of illegality than elsewhere, because people have this legal retail infrastructure where they go to. It, it, when COVID started and the lockdowns began, people were afraid that the coffee shops would not be open. That's why we ended up with huge queues in the Netherlands, hundreds of people waiting for that joint. So... Uh, this is a different, a little bit of a different world. Uh, it's it's not like people would go to the street. People would go to, typically go to coffee shop because they're used to it.
0: And is that you know, are you bringing that sort of expectation to, say say somebody like where say somebody Germany, it doesn't have the highest prevalence in in, in Europe. Uh, it's from a from from a commonality or certainly consumer awareness regarding recreational cannabis is is primarily low how are you kind of factoring that into your how are you factoring that into your plans are you not more focused on existing markets
1: well uh, so from our current uh uh, portfolio we we can serve the german market from our zimbabwean operation medical cannabis Uh, but with legalization we you know we we will uh, do something similar to what we're doing in the Netherlands. We will be uh, growers in right. Germany, and and then we yeah, we are awaiting. It might be so that Germany also takes a similar route to the Netherlands, where there's a coffee shop-like uh, dispensaries. Uh, that's that's a possibility. It might be different. We don't know yet. So, so but for sure we'll be operating uh, grow operations in Germany. Yeah.
0: Has it been easier as a, as a result of being in? The Netherlands are being Dutch. has it been easier to raise capital and deploy capital? Is our institutions more favourable towards it from a banking perspective, from a from from from, 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 yeah. from a retail
3: perspective? Okay. okay, as I said this morning, there is in 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 the entirety of the Netherlands zero bank debt involved. It's all equity because there is no possibility whatsoever to to obtain bank financing. You can forget that. So uh, we're talking about uh, dependence on the private markets, but don't forget that we're in a world where people have more understanding of cannabis than elsewhere. And uh, up until now, most people have been able to secure funding. Yeah, we're all right.
0: granted. But what about like getting, if, if you're looking, if are you looking at joint investment opportunities? Are you looking at taking in funds into your existing fund?
3: So we don't raise funds uh, in, in the sense that we reach out to, to, to capital markets for ourselves. We're an investor, but we certainly team up with investors, not so much to raise funds, but to capitalize on the knowledge and the know-how that other people have. So uh, we don't want to be the ignorant guy overseas who goes into a market and doesn't know uh, what he, what he's doing. So we would be very, very keen, and we've done, even, done so even today, to speak and liaise with uh, investors from here. Okay, so... I think
0: we're we're kind of, we're, we're running a little bit out of time, but just to kind of summarize, uh, if you are an, an aspiring entrepreneur, uh, want to tackle New York, and I think it probably counts for half the audience in the room, uh, there are two very qualified gentlemen to my left, uh, your right, uh, who are definitely worth speaking to. Uh, so, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: Now, you can secure your seat at next year's event right this second. It's scheduled for the 4th of October, 2023. Tickets are on sale at cannabisnewyork.live. You'll find the link in the show notes.